What's happening? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, June the 14th, 2021. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the podcast. If you're someone who listens just to the audio version, you have Apple Podcasts, you have Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, just to name a few. If you're someone who watches along over on YouTube, search bar Matt Burner, your show, you'll get this episode along with the 69 prior. First things first, let's talk about the Friday feature because we did have a winner last week when we sort of rebooted this whole thing. Uh, Bruce Chilton. I had reached out to him, unfortunately never heard back, so we're going to make a couple tweaks here for this week. The race coming up for this coming Friday, the Friday feature, is going to be Belmont Park race number six. Scheduled post time right around 3.30, a mile on the turf, state-bred maiden special weight runners. If you want to be involved, you need to leave your official selection beneath the video player on YouTube, but to take it another step, because... To be fair, this is probably more a bonehead move on my part for not having done this in the past. At least if I were to get email addresses, it would be easy enough in a pinch if for whatever reason I don't hear back from a winner that I at least have an email address for some folks who want to be featured on the show. So, what we're going to do now, you still need to go about the Friday feature piece as usual if you want to be involved. You need to keep that area beneath the video player. That's where you end up putting your selection for the contest in. If you're right, I will leave you a comment there, but along with that, along with your submission of your selection, you need to email me first at bernier.matt89 at gmail.com. bernier.matt89 at gmail.com. Send me that sort of just a little bit of a hello, how are you kind of thing. I may or may not respond, being totally honest, but I will have it and I will see it. That way I can then go through and see if you do select the winner. Hopefully I'll be able to just find your email address and it's easier than trying to play tag going back and forth about, hey, send me an email, we don't get it done on time and and here we are on Monday where we don't have a guest. So there were a few folks who correctly identified the winner last week, but unfortunately, again, bad, bad on me for not planning accordingly for this sort of thing in the past, but now here we are. If we're going to start doing this again, maybe this is a way to be proactive to make sure that we get some sort of a guest on. Uh, So Bruce Chilton, you're you're part of the crew. If you want to be involved, send me an email. Again, bernier.matt89 at gmail.com. You still need to leave your selection for the Friday feature beneath the video player on YouTube. That's where I'll go. Hopefully someone will correctly identify the winner, and then I'll have an email address already sort of in the books that I can go back, look up, and contact you to get something set up for this Monday. So the Friday feature for this week, one last time, is going to be Belmont Park on Friday, race number six, one mile on the Widener Turf, New York Breads, Maiden Special Weight Runners. So now that that's out of the way, this week's show, going to dive into two separate things. One of them is in relation to this three-year-old crop, and I mentioned it last week, and PTF and I during the Horse Player Happy Hour, which again, if you're someone who's thinking about playing in contests or you're a, you're a diehard contest player, please join us uh, every Friday afternoon. We're going to go through a number of races. You have many, many things that you can win. Um, if you finish in the top two, you automatically qualify for the postseason. The winner of the playoffs gets a full $10,000 Breeders' Cup betting challenge seat. If you are the overall points leader throughout the year, In the regular season, you also win a $10,000 Breeders' Cup betting challenge seat. And if you finish in the top 10 every week, you end up accruing points. And those will go toward that sort of year-long contest for the point standings. And that's not even to mention that if you finish in the top 10% of the people who buy into the Horse Player Happy Hour, you get a qualifier into this Saturday's BCBC qualifier. So there are many reasons why you want to get involved and play. But PTF and I, and we also do a little live stream. We have some fun with it. So uh, please join us for both of those, the live stream and the contest itself over on horseplayers.com. But bringing it back to what this little piece is going to be all about. Pete and I talked about it, and I had mentioned it last week, that I I thought the Belmont Stakes would be the, the point where we could look back and say, all right, the folks who continue to, I don't want to say bash, this group of three-year-olds, but the folks who are less than enthused, let's say, about the overall quality of of this three-year-old generation, 
you would you would have thought that they were going to kind of cool their jets for a little bit. But I do continue to see that sort of stuff on social media, and it makes me wonder, especially, I believe it was Steve Bick, and I apologize if it wasn't, but Steve Bick tweeted out the uh, chart for the horses coming out of the Kentucky Derby, and a lot of this had to do with Mandaloon, uh, let's say, barely getting through the Pegasus on Sunday afternoon down at Monmouth Park. Wayburn made him earn it. That's another story we can talk about. Oh, actually, I'll just talk about it real quick right now. Mandaloon is... Even with his uh, blinkers being equipped, I, I still kind of feel like he's not a, a, a finished project. He gets real goofy when he gets out there on the front or gets close to the lead. Um, and it makes me wonder if we do need to, to tweak a couple little things here. I don't know what you need to do. Uh, that's way over my head. I'm not a trainer. I'm sure Brad Cox will figure it out. But, I mean, it, he looked like he was going to go off and win by five, and he ended up only winning by about a neck when... I don't think, A, the, the fig, and that's what kind of will lead me into this first topic of conversation, but the fig didn't come back great. I think it was a 93 or a 94 buyer, but it wasn't bad by any stretch. Um, and just in general, I think he is capable of doing much better. It's just he's still not totally there yet. So I see the people just in general just talking about how maybe this isn't a great group of three-year-olds, and I I've long thought this is a pretty solid group. Maybe not spectacular, but I think it's a pretty solid group uh, and highlighted by the horses who finished 1-2 in the Belmont Stakes with the central quality and Hot Rod Charlie earning 109 and 108 by your speed figures. Just for ha-has, to try to emphasize my feeling and my point, I wanted to go back and see over the past handful of years. And I did not use 2020 because 2020 was such a bizarre campaign and the way everything was laid out and how the races were run. But I went back through 2015, including 2015, and looked at the Belmont Stakes, the Preakness, and the Kentucky Derby to see where the horses who ran in those races, what they then went on to do. And the idea for me is to try to emphasize that the horses who look like they're the goods, well, they don't always pan out and end up being the best of the best going forward. And the horses who right now look maybe a little bit inferior, maybe a little bit slower than their contemporaries, they may be the ones that actually end up going on and doing bigger and better things. And I think a lot of the folks who are making those sort of declarations about how good or subpar this group of horses is right now, you're doing that, I would, I'm venturing a guess, solely on results and the speed figures they're earning right now. When in reality, to me, and it's been the reason that I try to emphasize, we're not really going to know what a certain group is for some time to come. We need to wait and see what, what they develop into because some of these horses will take giant steps forward and some of them won't get any better at all. But it's very reactionary, in my opinion, to be making declarative statements about what a group is or isn't uh, in the second weekend in June. So I'm going to go through and I just, there are no visuals here, but it's more or less just me. I kind of pulled out some names and what their resume ended up looking like down the road from this juncture right now, where we are in 2021. And maybe I won't change anyone's opinion. Maybe in a way it'll actually fortify or solidify some folks' opinions about maybe this group isn't that good or maybe this group could potentially be better. Either way, let me know what your thoughts are about this group in 2021, and I'm only talking about the boys, the three-year-old males. Where do you think they stack up in, in the big picture? Do you think this is a subpar group? Do you think it's a really, really strong crop? Do you think it's a decent group? Somewhere in between those two extremes. Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Following that, we'll get into some Q&A because some of you I thought brought up some good points and you had some good questions specifically revolving around Belmont Stakes weekend. Some of the performances and some of the horses that we saw from that day and days, I guess, if you want to include Friday. So we'll dive into that after. But first, let's talk about maybe in comparison where this group of three-year-olds is compared to the prior few years. All right, so as I was talking about, the idea that it's, to me, it's, it's very reactionary to just sit here and say, well, because the horses who ran in the Derby have come back to do X, then that's what they are. I, I just think that's, that's not thinking 
big picture or long term. That's just taking what we have right now and saying, well, this is absolutely what this is it. This this is the case. I, I just I think that's it may end up in fact being the case, but I just think it's really difficult to just sit there and not think that there's a scenario in which these horses can improve or in some cases regress from what they are right now. And I'm including the top two, the big two, let's say, in the division of Essential Quality and Hot Rod Charlie. I don't, I mean, at this trajectory, at this point, as I brought up last week, I mean, they ran the fastest Belmont Stakes races themselves in 10 years and the better part of 20 years. So, to, I mean, unless we're talking about two horses that we're going to be talking about for the next 20 years, as far as what they ended up doing down the road, assuming they stay healthy, that you know, are they both going to end up being 120 buyer kind of horses? I mean, it's, it's certainly possible, but I don't know that I would say it's a likely scenario. They have a good chance of doing it if they've already earned the figs that they have this early as three-year-olds, but I'm not, I'm not ready to sit here and say that it's it's a likely scenario. I'm also not ready to say that the horses who have earned low low 90 kind of numbers from a buyer standpoint aren't capable of getting up into the 105, 110 range at some point in their career. Maybe even this year, who knows? So I wanted to go through and take a look at the past handful of years with the horses who threw the Belmont, what they had done versus what they went on to do. And you'll see that some... They took steps forward, and some, they took massive steps back. Just to sort of illustrate the idea that, oh, because of this right now on uh, June 14th, this is what these horses have done, that this is what they're going to be, that that just seems like you're kind of cherry-picking. And I'm sure some people will go through this little exercise when I run down these names and go, oh, you, you didn't name X, Y, and Z, that they ended up being a complete bum. Well, I'm just picking names that we're all probably familiar with. Some of these names, frankly, I totally forgot. You know, random names. I'm not going to name them right now. But but some of these names, I totally forgot they were even racehorses. These names that I'm going to throw out, I'm sure most of us will be familiar with. And again, it's just to illustrate that you can improve by leaps and bounds. Or you can basically have had your moment in the sun and never do anything on the racetrack ever again. I didn't use 2020 because it was such a weird year. So 2019, Sir Winston won the race. He earned a 95 buyer. And and I'm, by the way, I'm just using basically the Triple Crown races. And you'll see that I'm just kind of bouncing around. Sir Winston won the Belmont Stakes. He earned a 95 buyer. He never earned anything that fast ever again in the races that he ran. Tacitus earned a 94 buyer in the Belmont. He went on to win one race or has won one race since then. He's earned multiple 100 plus buyer speed figures, but he just hasn't really gotten over the hump. So from a from a numbers standpoint, yes, he has gotten faster. No, he really hasn't won a hell of a lot, but that's not really my point. My point is he he did improve. He did get better from a numbers standpoint. And that's really all I'm kind of bringing up at this point right now. Because that's what it seems to be that the narrative is that it's just a slow group. Well, again, very easy to say that right now. Uh, Jovia earned a 93 in the Belmont. He has only won an allowance race since then. Tax earned a 92 in the Belmont Stakes. He has gone on to be a multiple graded stakes winner. He has multiple 100 plus buyer speed figures. Again, Tax, a horse who finished out of the money in the Belmont Stakes. He continued to improve. More of Will, who was up the track in the Belmont. He won the Preakness prior to that. He went on to win a grade one on grass. And he earned multiple 100-plus buyer speed figures. Owendale earned a 96 buyer in the Preakness stakes in 2019. He likes to finish second. He still does finish second. He typically lands in that high 90 buyer speed figure range in his races. So we haven't seen a great deal of improvement from him. He kind of has stayed the same. And I'm on record saying he's being campaigned the wrong way. He's a one-turn horse. Get him to seven-eighths of a mile or a one-turn mile. And that's it. Don't run him going two turns. Uh, and a Warrior's Charge. 94 in the Preakness. He has one graded stakes win, and he has earned multiple mid-90 buyer speed figures. Another horse who kind of what you saw is what you got that day, or from his Triple Crown campaign to where he is now. Improbable. 
Improbable was the favorite in the Derby and the Preakness those years. In the Preakness, he earned a 93 buyer speed figure. He went on to win multiple grade ones as a four-year-old, and he earned multiple high 100 buyer speed figures up into the one-teens. So clearly a horse who improved as he got older. Uh, Code of Honor in the buyer in the Kentucky Derby, he earned a 97 buyer speed figure. Since then, he has gone on to be a multiple graded stakes winner. He has earned multiple 100 plus buyer speed figures, despite never living up to what I think some had for expectations for him. He was a very good horse, not a superstar, not a Hall of Famer, not one that's going to go down in sort of the annals of time. That oh, he was he was exceptional. He was a good horse. He won the Travers. Did so very impressively. Um, he improved from the Kentucky Derby. That That's the big takeaway from this little exercise. By my standards, an 86 buyer in the Derby, sidelined for quite some time. Since then, multiple graded stakes winner, multiple 100-plus buyer speed figures. So you get a mixed bag out of the horses that I just rolled through from 2019. Some of them, that was basically it. Others took marginal steps forward. Others took steps back and others took significant steps forward to go on to do bigger and better as they continued on. Let's go to 2018 because 2018 is a fascinating, a fascinating group to me. Gronkowski. Now keep in mind, 2018 was justified. He won the Triple Crown. Gronkowski, a 99 buyer in the Belmont. He was a runner-up in the 2019 Dubai World Cup. He hasn't won a race since. He's been over in the Middle East. They've tried to, they've run him on turf even. I don't even know if he's still in training. But point being, the Belmont was basically his high point. I guess if you want to include the runner-up in Dubai. Hofberg, 97 in the Belmont. Many people, myself included, thought he was going to turn into something. And he never did. Mid to high 80 buyer speed figures coming uh, following that. He never got any better. So, in fact, he actually regressed. On the flip side, you have a horse like Vino Rosso. 97 in the Belmont Stakes. He goes on to win the Breeders' Cup Classic. Multiple grade one winner. Multiple 100-plus buyer speed figures. So, just in those three horses right there, you're seeing pretty massive differences in what you saw from them at this point in their career coming out of the Belmont Stakes where they all looked relatively close. Well, guess what? In hindsight, they weren't close at all. One ended up being head and shoulders above the other two. One of them never really got much better. The other one regressed. That's my only point about, again, and that's what this whole exercise is, is trying to compare it to what we're looking at right now and saying, don't just automatically buy into the idea that what you see is what you get from these horses, because that's not the case. Tenfold, 93 buyer in the Belmont, He's gone on to win multiple graded stakes races, but he lives in the low to mid-90 range from a buyer speed figure standpoint, so he never got really any better. He's just been placed appropriately by Steve Asmussen, picking up checks where he can, occasionally gets a win. Uh, good magic. In the Preakness stakes, he earned a 95 buyer. He went on to win the grade one Haskell with a 98 buyer. He ran one more time, and that was it. So, you know, who knows? Maybe good magic could have been a horse that went on to do bigger and better. What he did do in those two races subsequent, he won one of them with a comparable fig, and the other one was a disaster, and we never saw him again. Instilled Regard, one of my favorites, finished 90, uh, finished 97, finished fourth in the Kentucky Derby with a 97 buyer speed figure at a million to one. He went on to be a multiple graded stakes winner on grass, including the grade one Manhattan, with buyer speed figures on a number of occasions over 100. Safe to say he improved. With a surface change, something you're also going to find in common with this next horse. Wasn't a surface change, but he was doing something in the derby that he didn't want to do. Forenze Fire, also in that Kentucky Derby, he earned a 69 buyer. He's gone on, and we know he's still racing. He's still as good as he's ever been. Multiple graded stakes winner, sprinting on dirt, and he has multiple 100-plus buyer speed figures. I'm sure some folks, and, and to be fair, he never really felt like the horse that would appreciate going longer, but I, I would be willing to bet somewhere out there, there were people that after the Derby in 2018, they said, I knew Forenze Fire was no good. Or, you were wrong, and he's really good, he just didn't want to do that. In still regard, you could kind of make that same sort of case, that 
I think he would have been just as good on dirt, maybe not just as good, maybe a, a notch below. But once Chad moved him to the grass, he became a grade one winner. That's all I'm saying, and I hope people are picking up what I'm putting down here. And it, uh, just because I think this group here in 2021 is pretty good, I could be wrong. But I'm not definitively sitting here saying, because of this, this is what we've got going forward. Because Essential Quality earned a 109 in the Belmont and Hot Rod Charlie earned a 108 in the Belmont, that they're going to go on to be Hall of Famers. They could, but I'm not saying that with any kind of conviction. I'm also not sitting here saying because Mandaloon earned a 93 in the Pegasus over Wayburn, who, by the way, I think Wayburn's a good little horse. Keep in mind, he missed a number, uh, quite a bit of time. They were planning on running the Belmont Stakes. I assume the goal for them is still going to be the Queen's Plate because he's an Ontario bred. But... The, the point is, what they are right now doesn't mean that that's what they'll end up being. They can get better. They can also get worse. Let's go to 2017. Tapprit wins the Belmont with a 103 buyer. He never won again, and he ended up earning speed figures in the low to mid-90s from a buyer standpoint. He regressed. You could say arguably the same thing about Irish Warcry. Earned a 100 in the Belmont. He went on to win the Grade 3 Pimlico Special as an older horse. He earned a 100 buyer, but that was it. He basically is high watermark as a three-year-old during the Triple Crown. Never got any better. Cloud Computing, 100% fits that same mold. Wins the Preakness with the 102. He never won again. He earned speed figures in the low to mid-90s. Meanwhile, the opposite of the top three that we just mentioned, or the first three from 2017, Gunavera, who earns a 94 in the Preakness, Sure, he only ever won, let's call them minor stakes races following that, but he ran big race after big race and he earned multiple 100 plus buyer speed figures. He was probably best in the Travers the year that he ran, maybe not best, but he ran damn well. And we know what he went on to do in races like the Breeders' Cup Classic and he gave good accounts of himself on the biggest stage. So no, he didn't quite get there, but from a number standpoint, he got considerably better as opposed to those top three or the first three that I just mentioned they all took substantial steps back, but after the Triple Crown campaign, I'm sure most people were looking at it saying, those top three, they're going to be the cream of the crop. Well, no, that's not how it ended up playing out. We can even say that about a horse like Battle of Midway. In the Derby, he earns a 91 buyer. He goes on to be a multiple graded stakes winner, earns multiple 100 plus buyer speed figures. Practical joke, very much in the same boat as Forenze Fire. We're going to find out, I would be willing to bet, the exact same thing this year about highly motivated. Practical Joker earns an 89 buyer in the Kentucky Derby. He goes on to be a multiple graded stakes winner going shorter with multiple 100 plus buyer speed figures. You let them do what they want to do, they're going to flourish. And I don't I don't I don't fault anyone for taking a shot, whether it be the Forensic Fire camp or the the Practical Joke camp or in this case the highly motivated camp. You got to find out. You've got very you've got exceptionally talented racehorses. You got to find out if they can do it. But the minute you get them back to doing what they want to do, that's when they're going to absolutely spread their wings. And one of my favorites through the 2017 run, who I think is a criminally underrated horse. I will, I will die on that hill. I will fall on that sword. Thunder Snow. Thunder Snow gets a, a, a no-registered buyer speed figure for the uh, Bucking Bronco show that we saw the first Saturday in May when he ran. All he then went on to do was become a Group 1 winner on grass, a multiple Group 1 winner on dirt. He finished third in the Breeders' Cup Classic here in the U.S., third in the Met Mile. He was just a good racehorse. But people, for whatever reason, their, their preconceived concepts or thoughts about some of these horses, they never outgrow them. They never change them. What they, what they think of them immediately is what they always think of them, which is not the best way to approach things. Especially when you're, if you're just trying to be objective, you can't let your preconceived notions get in the way, or at least be willing to to acknowledge, you know what, I was wrong, or what I thought initially, not the case. So I'm sitting here saying, I think this group in 2021 is pretty good, despite the fact that you've only got a couple that have run really exceptional speed figures. I am keeping the door open to the fact that I may be wrong, but I'm also not, you know, sticking my flag in the ground saying outside of a handful of horses, the group is no good. 
That seems a little bit aggressive to me. 2016, creator, 99 in the Belmont Stakes. He never won again. He earned speed figures in the high 80s and low 90s. Destin, 99 in the Belmont, won the grade two marathon. He was a mid-90 buyer speed figure kind of horse. Lonnie, we all know about Lonnie. 97 in the Belmont, he never won again anywhere in the world. Exaggerator, 83 in the Belmont Stakes. He won the Haskell with the 101, largely due to the wet track. He was off the board in the other two races, and they, he earned speed figures of 79 and 87 in those two races. Lauban, 87, or excuse me, 84 in the Preakness. He goes on to win the Jim Dandy with a 101. It was the only race he ever won. He broke his maiden in the Jim Dandy. Now, I've just listed five horses who from a credential standpoint at that time, they probably had done the most throughout the Triple Crown. And then now I'm going to name three horses who also ran in those 2016 Triple Crown races at some point. And you tell me, at the time, what people thought of them versus now in hindsight compared to the first five, compared to Creator, Destin, Lonnie, Exaggerator, Lauban. We'll start with Collected. We're into 70 buyer speed figure in the Preakness. He went on to win multiple graded stakes races, including the Grade 1 Pacific Classic. He earned multiple buyer speed figures north of 110. Gunrunner earns a 96 in the Kentucky Derby. He goes on to win multiple grade 1s. He earns multiple buyer speed figures of 115. He earns even one that's up in the 120 range. He's arguably, he's probably on the short list, let's say top 3 of the past 10 years. As far as racehorses are concerned, here in the United States anyway. And Whitmore earns a 48 in the Derby. Very much of the same mold as Practical Joke. Very much of the same as Forense Fire. I I will fall on this, you know, die on this hill about the idea that Highly Motivated is going to be the exact same way. Goes on to win multiple grade ones going shorter. Multiple 100 buyer speed figures. Obviously won the Breeders' Cup last year. And we know he's still got it because he almost won the Churchill Downs earlier this year. So, again, coming out of the Triple Crown in 2016, I'm sure many people were looking at it saying Creator, Destin, Lonnie, Exaggerator, maybe even Lauban when he when he really popped up at Saratoga, broke through. Oh, yeah, you know, those are, that's the, the cream of the crop. Collected Gunrunner Whitmore, eh, yeah, they're fine. Well, guess what? Down the road, those last three all jump forward in big, big ways, and the top five did nothing. Nowhere. Hopefully my point is becoming evident. And the final group I'll talk about is from 2015. And to be honest, more and more time goes by. I think it makes me appreciate American Pharaoh that much more, knowing how comfortably he defeated, I think, some pretty damn good horses. Most notably, Frosted, who in the Belmont, Earned a 98 buyer. He goes on to win multiple grade 1s, multiple 100-plus buyer speed figures, highlighted by the 123 absolute show that he put on in the Met Mile. Keen Ice, who defeats American Pharaoh at, at Saratoga in the Travers, 96 buyer in the Belmont, multiple graded stakes winner, multiple 100-plus buyer speed figures. Mubtahij. I know many people thought Mubtahij, and look, I picked him in the Belmont to beat American Pharaoh. I know many people looked at him and said, he's a bum, he's no good. He earned a 95 in the Belmont. All he did was come back over here, win a grade one, and he earned multiple 100-plus buyer speed figures. Was he a superstar? No, but he was a pretty good horse. He took a step forward from what we had seen during his Triple Crown campaign. Dortmund. I don't even know if you can say the same about Dortmund because he was so good leading into and including the Derby. The Preakness, I don't want to hold against him entirely. He earned a 78 buyer there. He then came out of that and down the road, won a graded stakes race and earned multiple 100-plus buyer speed figures. But then even some of the also-rans in the Kentucky Derby. Bolo, he earned an 86 in the Derby. He went on to win multiple graded stakes races on turf, including a grade one in the Shoemaker Mile at a million to one. He earned multiple 100-plus buyers in a horse like War Story, who, no, he didn't, you know, he didn't really take over in any of the real sexy divisions. He earned a 77 in the Derby. He went on to win multiple graded stakes races, going exceptionally long, mile and a half, mile and three quarters, and he earned multiple 100-plus buyers. My only point is don't become a prisoner of the moment. Don't just sit here and say, well, because they've done this, this, and this to this point, this is what it is. Because in all likelihood, 
The narrative is going to change dramatically over the next six months, never mind the next 16 months or 26 months, when we have a full body of work to go off of, to be able to reflect back upon and say, hey, you know what? This horse ended up being really good. And maybe at the time, I thought he was, eh, he just continued to improve. Or conversely, we have one of these horses who is really, really strong right now. Maybe it is Mandaloon. Maybe it's Medina Spirit. Maybe it's Essential Quality. Maybe it's Hot Rod Charlie. It may not be likely, but it's possible that we look back and say, you know what? Boy, they, they just, they were really tied on for that Triple Crown and they just never got any better. In fact, they regressed. We won't know until more time goes by. But my only suggestion is don't just throw out blanket statements about what you think right now because that can change pretty, pretty quickly. Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt what your overall thoughts are about this three-year-old crop of males right now in 2021. Who do you think could potentially be a horse to improve? Who are you skeptical of? Who do you think really, eh, maybe there's reason to believe they're going to regress? Who do you think would appreciate a change? Going from dirt to turf, cutting back in distance to one turn, those sort of things. Who's going to really excel when they're allowed to do what they want to do? Or is this as good as they're going to get? The beautiful thing about this, no one knows for certain. I just, I hope you keep an open mind. That's all. Now, let's pivot into some Q&A from last week's show. Let's get into the Q&A. Some of these have been posed as questions. Some of them are just simply sort of comments, and I will then comment back to them. Uh, and some I will dive into deeper than others. So here we go. Rapid fire. Uh, JM. And by the way, all of these are from Beneath the Video Player on YouTube. If you want to have if you have questions, comments, whatever it is, leave them there. And if we get enough feedback, I'll continue to do this each and every week. But all depends on how many people comment. Uh, JM. That's all we got. JM. I find it funny how this horse, uh, I assume he's talking about essential quality. Uh, I find it funny how this horse still don't get respect. And I'm reading it verbatim. So when he went with highly motivated in the BG, Bluegrass, everyone was more impressed with HM, highly motivated, and knocked EQ, essential quality, for barely winning because highly motivated did the dirty work, yet essential quality went with him. Here in the Belmont, Hot Rod Charlie goes to the lead, which is conducive to winning, and this time Essential Quality does the opposite of what he did in the Bluegrass. Yet again, the second-place finisher gets more credit. I don't know why Essential Quality or any Derby favorite or two-year-old champions always being knocked harder by handicappers than any other horse. JM, thank you for the comment. Disagree entirely with your premise. And I maybe I'm guessing a bit here, but you very clearly are an Essential Quality fan. Uh, very much the same way that I was hearing things about some of these other horses. When I have anything that's not just glowing, I immediately am someone who doesn't like the horse, but yet as a fanboy, like a Medina Spirit thing, the amount of people that just came out of the woodwork and said, you don't get them, you don't get them. No, I'm just pointing things out. It doesn't mean that I dislike the horse. What the hell do I have against a horse? Horse is an animal. I like all animals. I will be honest, though, the chipmunks in my front yard right now, they're doing a number. They're digging holes all over the place. We have a woodchuck that lives under our shed. We have a lot of wildlife around where I live. This is, talk about a tangent. I didn't mean to do this, but we're going to go down this road. We have chipmunks all over the place. We have a woodchuck that lives under the shed. We have deer out back in the woods, which is fine, but they're bringing ticks, and we have ticks everywhere. So now we have to have someone, some guy came last weekend spraying, and apparently he looked like he was from Ghostbusters. And he was using a, what effectively was a leaf blower at 7 o'clock in the morning, so I'm sure the neighbors loved that. We have birds everywhere, which is fine. I don't mind the birds, but it's like a wildlife sanctuary out here. I like animals, as long as they're not doing damage to my lawn. And right now, the chippies, they're getting a little chippy. I may need to figure out an alternative solution to, you know, I don't want to do away with them, but just get out of here. Just get out of here. Anyway, back to this piece at hand. So, JM. First things first, I didn't hear any one person say that Highly Motivated ran a better race than Essential Quality did in the Bluegrass. In fact, it's entirely the opposite. Highly Motivated could not have had a better trip and setup in the Bluegrass and he still wasn't able to beat Essential Quality with the ideal scenario. 
that led me and basically everyone else that I've heard suggest that now, and now keep in mind, some people thought that Highly Motivated would move forward out of that effort, and perhaps he was taken out of his element. A rule of thumb, I don't care what your running style is, Use this to me is gospel. I don't even remember who told me this years and years ago, but I think it's 100% true. Horses will run their fastest when they are allowed to control things on the front. If you can go to the front and you can do it all well within yourself, that's when you're going to get the best out of them. Now, if they have distance questions like a highly motivated does, which is what I think ended up biting him in the bluegrass, that's that. You're not going to be able to overcome that, but you can get damn close to it. Essential Quality ran a much better race in the bluegrass than Highly Motivated did. He also was a lot closer to the pace, which in a perfect world, and Brad Cox has even said so, not ideal. They'd like him to be a little bit farther off of it, where he's got something to run at as was the case in the Belmont. Now, the difference between the Bluegrass and the Belmont, he won the Bluegrass having to basically go and run down a horse who had everything go his own way. In the Belmont, he went and ran down a horse that effectively did the dirty work, put away the other speeds, and still had something left in the tank. Now, if you want to go through and and critique who ran the best race in the Belmont, that's a totally fair assessment, especially when you consider how wide essential quality was throughout the run. Maybe sort of the fast fractions from Hot Rod Charlie and the ground loss from essential quality, maybe they kind of mitigate one another. And the result was perfectly, you know, I'm not saying one horse was, was markedly better than the other. I believe with the pace situation that perhaps... Hot Rod Charlie ran a better race than Essential Quality did in the Belmont. JM, you're also completely glossing over the fact that I think the vast majority of people have alluded to the fact that Essential Quality probably ran the best race in the Kentucky Derby, and unfortunately, because of circumstances, he finished fourth. With a cleaner go of it, or a better trip, he probably wins the Derby. So, I don't know what you're saying when you say he he don't get respect, verbatim. Um, but I'm just, I'm not following you there. I think essential quality gets the respect he deserves. Maybe not, maybe people aren't ready to put him in the hall of fame just yet, but if he continues on this trajectory, there's no reason to think that he won't get, he won't receive the accolades and the sort of adulation that he deserves if he continues on this path. So there's that. Nick Teckle. Matt Baby, you... <laughs> sorry, got to start that again. Matt Baby, you was doing great analyzing the race until you mentioned life is good. That wasn't good to compare him with EQ and HRT. Nick, thank you for the comment. Um, keep in mind, from a speed figure standpoint, that's what I'm talking about. Life is good. The fig that he ran earlier this year in March was almost as fast as what these two horses just did at the beginning of June. If life is good had stayed healthy, there's reason to believe he at the very least would have been in that ballpark. Maybe he wouldn't have defeated either of those horses last Saturday or two Saturdays ago, whenever you're listening to this. Point is, from a numbers standpoint, what you your statement is not accurate. Life is good is relatively close as far as the fastest races of those three are concerned. And they're the only three that have run races that are that fast. So, sorry, Nick. Going to team up a couple of these questions. Uh, Scott Cricklow, I thought domestic spending ran a tremendous race. I'd be interested to hear what you thought of him and Gufo in the Manhattan. Philip Weinberg, straightforward, right to it. You need to talk about the Manhattan. Gentlemen, thank you for the questions and comments. Uh, let's start with just the overall race itself. Domestic spending wins. Trubavon finishes second. Gufo finishes third. Uh Colonel Liam is nowhere. Domestic spending, I thought, was spectacular. And this is not a new thing. I, I said it, I don't know if it was during, it must have been during the Horse Player Happy Hour when I talked about how much I like Trebovon, but we'll get to that in a minute. Domestic spending, I had very little doubt coming out of that race at Churchill Downs that he was a better horse than Colonel Liam. Now, if you wanted to say you like Colonel Liam because he has a tactical advantage on domestic spending, I think that's a very valid and reasonable way to look at it. But there's something about, I always talk about that kick. You want to see a good turf horse? Good turf horses have hellacious turns of foot. 
Domestic spending has that. Bricks and mortar had that. You know, we'll talk about Gufo more in a minute because I think there's we, we can work on that. But Colonel Liam has that, and he has that tactical ability. But for whatever reason, he was A, dead on the board. All throughout the early wagering, I remember looking at the tote saying, he's he is ice cold in here. And those are the sort of things that you'd need to try to factor in and say, okay, well, they weren't separated by that much. I didn't think their odds necessarily should be that far apart, especially given the idea that Colonel Liam, in theory, was going to get the jump on domestic spending. Believe domestic spending to be a better horse, more talented horse, you know, 2x the price, two and a half times the price? Maybe, maybe not. Again, just talking about it from a probability standpoint. Domestic spending, though, is that kind of horse. I talked about it on last week's Horse Player Happy Hour with PTF. That, to me, if you were, if you really wanted to, or if Chad Brown really wanted to, I think this horse would have a puncher's chance over in Europe. And I don't think they really, they don't have any reason to do that, if we're being honest. Not as though going over there is really going to enhance his his stud value I don't believe anyway um, but from a sporting standpoint I think it's what made Teppins win all those years ago in the Queen Anne that much more special because we don't typically go over there and beat them in their races they come over here and beat us in our races this horse at a mile and a quarter and that's kind of the the double-edged sword here I don't think he can run at a mile I think that's a little bit too sharp in a mile and a half you know, if Chad got bricks and mortar to run out to a mile and a half, I don't see any reason why he can't get domestic spending out to a mile and a half. But he does feel like a 10 furlong horse. As many races as there are at 10 furlongs, he's going to be a player in. So the Arlington Million or the, the Bruce D or whatever the hell it's called now, um, I mean, he's going to be odds on in that race. I don't care what comes over from Europe, and deservedly so. The lead change piece, we'll get to that in a question coming up. Trebevan, I liked him going into it. I loved him day of. I laid out the case. If if I had told you, and, and sometimes this is as simple, we, you know, we try to overthink things. If I had said to you going into a grade one in New York on turf, Chad Brown trains the horse, the horse has the highest last out buyer speed figure in the field, is a horse who I think has tactical speed, has won from off the pace in the United States in the past, but figures to be among the top flight, and you're going to get, uh, he was 20 on the morning line, he went off at almost 16 to 1. I mean, you would you would have called me an idiot. Yet here we are, this is exactly what we got, and guess what? It took domestic spending to go and run down Tribavon, who finished second at 15 to 1. I think Tribavon's a legitimate racehorse. The gelding process, I mentioned that with PTF during the Horse Player Happy Hour, and Chad is quoted in a story, I believe it's over on the Pollock Report, about this horse changed once they gelded him. Folks, I'm telling you, sometimes we need to just, we get so stuck in our ways and thinking of, oh, well, he must just be nothing more than a rabbit for domestic spending. I guess by default, maybe you can look at that and say he was. But you can also look at a horse and say there's something there. For him to run the way that he did in the Fort Marcy, I think that should have been a tip-off. That they, they figured something out with him. If it was as simple as the gelding process, that's all I need to know. But let's also not totally ignore the fact that he was actually a pretty good horse before that. They just couldn't keep him on the racetrack. He'd run fast races when he got over here to the United States. So Trebuvan, to me, is a really interesting horse going forward because... More and more I think about it, you know, the, the Fort Marcy was at a mile and an eighth. You got that big speed, great. This race to Manhattan was out at a mile and a quarter. He went 23 and 4, 46 and 4 for the half, 11 for three quarters. I do wonder with what we were just talking about with domestic spending, I'm going to just purely guess. Purely guess, things may change. Assuming he stays sound, it sounds like the race at Arlington in August is the, the next target. And I would, honestly, I'd be surprised if they ran him back before the Breeders' Cup. Well, that leaves all of the races at Saratoga wide open. Uh, One of them, I believe, is the Bowling Green. Is it the Bowling Green? Something like that. Uh, But most, or more notably, the Sword Dancer. Now, the United Nations is also open at Monmouth Park. Those two races, let's talk about those two, because they're both grade ones. The UN and the Sword Dancer, are at a mile and three-eighths, unless they've changed it and I'm not aware of it, and a mile and a half. 
more and more I think about it, Trebovon very relatively easily made the front going 23 and 4 at a mile and a quarter with some other legitimately fast horses in the race. By the way, I, I, I saw enough people say, oh yeah, nobody was really making up any ground. Because Trebovon was running his ass off. You take a look at the top six, the top six finishers in the race, a half mile into the race, were 7th, 10th, 6th, 9th, and 8th, with the exception of Trebovon, who finished 2nd, and he was 1st by 4.5 lengths clear. The horses who were 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th, half mile into the race, finished 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th. If that doesn't tell you how well that horse ran, no, he's not domestic spending, but domestic spending might be a legitimately special horse. Tribuvon's a grade one horse. I'm saying that right now. I've seen enough. He's earned the figs, and he's earned them the hard way. Stretch him out a little bit more because I don't think distance is a problem for him, and at a mile and a half, especially in New York, no one wants to go. If you let a horse like this get a half mile in 50 instead of 46 and 4, or hell, even 48 and 4, give him an extra 10 lengths that he can take a breather and then just let him out a notch round in that third turn for going a mile and a half, nobody is going to run him down, including Gufo, who will be the last piece that we talk about with this one because he was actually specifically brought up by Scott Cricklow. Gufo is a horse that I don't doubt the talent. The talent is there. Talking about that that turn of foot, and that's what you can, to me, that's what separates a, a really exceptional turf horse from a good turf horse. If you, especially if you have no early speed, which Gufo, unfortunately, he has nil. Quite literally, no early speed. So, one of two things, and probably both, to be honest. Christophe Clement, I mean, again, you don't need me to tell you. He knows a hell of a lot more than I do. I mean, the horse needs something because he's far too far back in a race that had a big pace. He's still spotting a horse like domestic spending. It was something silly down the backside, like six lengths. Yeah, you got a wicked turn of foot. You can't run domestic spending. You can't spot him six lengths and expect to run him down. Maybe blinkers get him a little bit closer. The other thing, though, that makes me think about the blinkers is off the far turn at the top of the lane, Rosario hits him left-handed. He almost comes out of the picture. He floats out probably another six, seven pads before kind of riding the ship. He finishes just as fast as domestic spending does. Domestic spending 2262, Gufo 2269. The quarter mile prior to that, domestic spending 2332, Gufo 2274. I mean, he rolled home for his final half. The problem is his first three quarters were in 2578, 2416, 2439. Those are three of the slowest in the entire field. He's just got no early pace. So maybe Blinkers will get him a little bit closer. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Sadler's Joy. That, boy, that, that, that ride needs to be timed perfectly for you to have a chance. Either you have too much to do, and perhaps he has more stamina, but, I mean, this has kind of become a thing with Gufo. I mean, you go back and take a look. The Manhattan, he's a million out of it. He comes with the wicked leg kick. The Man of War, he's a million out of it. He's got big pace to run at that day as well. Comes with a leg kick, can't quite get up. The Hollywood Derby, a million out of it. Gets his final eighth in 10.65, loses by a neck. The Belmont Derby, yes, he wins. Is it a surprise, though, that he was only four and a half off of it as opposed to 14 off of it? I think that's something to consider. He's, he somehow has to be closer because the, the kick is there. The talent is there. He's just left with too much work to do against animals that are this good. So I, I'm not questioning his ability. They got to do something, though, to get him into the race earlier because otherwise he's just going to continue to do this, run second and third in big races as opposed to get the top money. Um, he reminds me of Sadler's Joy. Bricks and mortar. I get the compare, or I feel like domestic spending. He does remind me of bricks and mortar. That's high praise, horse of the year potentially. Gufo reminds me more of Sadler's Joy, who wicked turn of foot, probably going to be around for a hundred years. Really good horse. Got to get closer because I just you're you're not going to be that successful at the highest level, running like that. And Trebovan, 
if somehow Chad hears this, maybe I'll have to send him a note. Mile and a half, please. Because I think I, he's, he's a grade one horse. That's my call with Trebovan. Uh, so that's that. Bruce Meyer and John Peruso with a couple of sort of similar questions, different questions themselves, but both pertaining to Nick's go. Let's start with Bruce Meyer. I'd like to hear your opinion of Nick's go moving forward. His Met Mile performance really has me questioning what he will deliver in future races. John Peruso, Matt, how much credence do you give to the bounce after Dubai theory, whether Nick's go this past weekend or horses like Arrogate in the past, that first race back in the United States after the overseas trip to Dubai can be a problem. Thank you both for the questions. Uh, John, just for clerical pieces, uh, Nick Sko came back from Saudi Arabia, so let's just call it the Middle East trip as opposed to the Dubai-specific one. Uh, I guess let's start with that. Let's start with John's piece to it. I think a lot of it just depends on the horse because I always bought into the idea that when they came back, they needed a race before we saw their best. To your point, John, the, the bounce. But then again, I had someone point out to me a number of years ago, and it's true you know, horses like Game On Dude and Royal Delta, they came back from Dubai in in some instances kind of lackluster performances over there. And they ran arguably the best races of their career when they came back first off the bench. So I do think a lot of it is horse dependent. I don't know that I want to, I'm always going to be a little bit leery, but at the same time, if they've put together some sort of a steady work tab and they're just cooking along and, and they look like they are back to themselves as if they were before whatever the trip was to the Middle East, then I'm probably not going to be that concerned. If it looks like maybe, you know, it, it took a little bit longer to get to the races than what the plan was, or if their training is a little bit wonky, whatever it is, maybe that's when I'll factor it in. But I do think it's kind of on a case-by-case basis. Now, to Bruce's point, um, just about Nick's go in general and his performance in the Met. I thought his performance in the Met was god-awful. Um, and... I, I had said to a few different people, said it to Mike Mutnansky when we were doing our seminar down at Mohegan Sun, I said it to PTF, said it to a few different people. I it, it bothered me that the initial plan was to run at Lone Star Park. I don't care that it's $400,000. If you have a horse who you think is a legitimate grade one runner, you go to the Met with a purse of a million dollars Especially when it's a field of six. And the only reason you went was because Charlatan wasn't there. I do understand a little bit of that. But even so, if you think you're a legitimate grade one animal, you go to the Met. Why would you go to Lone Star? No disrespect to Lone Star Park. But why would you run in that race as opposed to the Met Mile? Which we talked about a couple weeks ago. There's an argument to be made that outside of the Triple Crown of the Breeders' Cup, it's the most prestigious race in the United States on dirt. Why would you, like, it wasn't even, uh, there was a moment of, ah, do we really want to go? Well, maybe we know now why. I had heard that there was talk that he really likes to run on the turns. So two turns at a mile is better than one for him. Maybe, look, his two less than stellar performances back-to-back have come in one-turn one events. Maybe there is something to that. Um, I don't want to totally write him off because I still think his fastball is is legit. I think he still can can run a big, big race. But, I mean, it, he, he continues to be a very difficult one to trust. If for no other reason than if he doesn't make the lead, I don't think he's going to do anything. So maybe you try, maybe you give him one more shot. On, on a big, big stage. Assuming he comes out of this in good shape, maybe you look at a race like the Whitney at a mile and an eighth at Saratoga and you say, this is his last chance at this level. Or you start, at least from there, you'll work backwards to a race like the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, which at Del Mar this year will be two turns. But maybe you give him a shot at the mile and an eighth, which he won at down at Gulfstream in the Pegasus. And you say, we're going to just try to bottom the field out and... If, if he's able to do it at a mile and an eighth at Saratoga against a good field, okay, then maybe you can continue to think about you know the classic. Because I'm, I'm still not entirely sure if it's... I don't really, frankly, I don't know what the deal is. I, I firmly believe he wouldn't pass a parked car. That hasn't changed. But if he can get the lead, I think he's dangerous, So which makes that performance in the Met that much more puzzling. 
He was just, it was terrible. He had nothing. It also makes me wonder a little bit about the two-turn thing, that maybe there is some validity to it. I still don't like that there was even consideration to not run in the Met. I'd like to think maybe you you go to the Whitney, and that's sort of the last-ditch effort, and you say, look, he either we're either moving on toward the Classic at a mile and a quarter, going two turns, or we're moving on toward the Dirt Mile, and we'll try to you know defend the crown uh, again this year, this time at Del Mar. I don't know. He's, he's very polarizing. And as is always the case, I think Price needs to be the guide. Let's just assume, let's just say, hypothetically, he ends up in the Whitney and you get Mystic Guide in there and you get Happy Saver, who it sounds like those two will be squaring off in the Suburban in just a few weeks at Belmont. Um, add in anyone else that you want to, to that mix. So good horses that are going to take money. If, if all of a sudden Nick's go goes off at 5-1 to one, compared to the odds on that he was in the Met or any of these other short prices he's been recently, I may gamble, and he looks like he's controlling speed. I might gamble to find out that, you know what, 17% of the time he's going to be able to wire the field. I'll take a shot. If he's 2-1, to one, he's not nearly as appealing. Um... But just from the race horse himself, I don't really know what you want to do. Maybe there is something to the one-turn races because his last two have been the real bombs, the real duds. And he's always going to be dangerous with that speed that he possesses. So we'll see what happens. Gentlemen, thank you for the comments. Theodore Bezel. Matt, the old lead change narrative took a big hit on Belmont Day. Search results and domestic spending certainly don't run the right way. Even by my standards, found another gear when he swapped back to his wrong lead. For the record, I agree it is typically a bad sign. If these Clarevich horses figure out what they are doing, watch out. Theodore, thank you for the comment. I, I disagree in that it took a hit. You're correct to point out that those three horses at certain points did things that were a little bit quirky. Uh, I believe if my memory serves correct, search results never even changed. That's not new for her. And as I said before... There are always going to be exceptions to the rule, especially when we're talking about exceptionally talented horses, horses who can get away with it. It's the same as in the NFL or in Major League Baseball or whatever it may be, where mechanically you have certain folks who do things that aren't, you wouldn't teach someone to do that, but they're just that gifted. Domestic spending and search results appear to both tick those boxes. Now, you'll also have instances where I think of uh, baseball. I was a pitcher back when I was playing, and you get tired. Your arm starts to drop a little bit. Well, you're trying to get a little something extra out of there. It's not ideal, but maybe it gets you an extra couple, maybe it gets you, I don't know, an extra 10, 15 pitches. Gets you an extra inning, maybe. By my standards, in my opinion, was exhausted. And that's why he flipped to the left lead late, and then he quickly went back to the right lead. It was also his first time going one turn. I think that one turn can be a little bit more taxing than the two turns. Um, I'm not disputing your point in that these are three horses who ran well and they didn't do everything the way that they, you know, we would like to see them do that. But I'm not, I'm not sitting here buying that the fact that you want to be doing things properly is still going to bear out more often than not. Um, in big races, with the exception of the exceptional talents, I, 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 don't, I don't think it's really the end of the world. The one thing I will say about By My Standards, it was his first time going one turn, so I'm at, at a mile anyway, I believe, unless he did it very early on, but I, I doubt that. I'll be a little bit kind but this is very similar to what he did when he won the Ali Sheba last fall and then went off form. I like that it was an aggressive move that they went. They were the opposite of Nick's go in that they were going to Lone Star all along. And then they were like, hey, you know what? Let's take a shot. We want to get him a grade one. This is a good opportunity. Let's go for it. That was, a, to me, a positive move as opposed to, oh, well, Charlatan's not there. We don't know if he really loves one turn. I guess we'll try it with Nick's go. 
there, there to me, that was it was two totally different circumstances, and you kind of saw it where one ended up running quite well and one ran quite poorly. The aggressive move to go with by my standards, I think you know what? I, look, I picked him. I thought he ran well. I thought he was on the better part of the racetrack. Silver State probably just a better horse right now, especially at the one turn mile. I just, I'm at least cognizant of the fact that when he did that very thing last fall, go back and watch the Ali Sheba, he does it twice down the lane. He had never done it before. He immediately goes off form in the Classic and the Clark. To start this year, he was really good in that Oaklawn race. Then he does it here. I'm going to reserve judgment to find out whether or not it was because of the one turn or it's a signal that maybe that was his shot and he just doesn't quite have it anymore. Um, but I'll be very curious to see what we get once they get him back out to two turns. I would assume you're probably looking... I mean, heck, maybe they do try the Whitney again. I don't think that would be a crazy crazy spot to, to see him in again. At a mile and an eighth, we know he can handle the distance. But um, overall, those are my thoughts as far as the whole lead change piece is concerned. And we'll wrap up episode 70 with one final question. And if you've enjoyed this segment, again, if you guys continue to kind of pepper with questions and comments this can become a reoccurring thing it's just it need to have that many need to have enough to actually make a segment out of it uh ronaldo del gallo question if current trends continue with the depleted preakness field do you think the winner of the preakness will continue to be discounted in the belmont save for the winner the preakness didn't have the top four kentucky derby placed horses and the winners of the major preps did you notice Rombauer did not come close to morning line odds? Also, while he came in third, he lost by a country mile. Ronaldo, thank you for the question. Thank you for the comment. Um, your point about, look, he was well beaten by the top two, but to be fair, the top two ran, as I said at the top, the fastest Belmonts in the better part of 20 years. So I'm not going to hold that against Rombauer. If you took them out of the race, both Rombauer and Known Agenda more or less ran races that, sure, they would have been slightly slow for the past 10 years from a Belmont winner standpoint, but they weren't far off. They both ran mid-90 buyers. I thought Ron Bauer ran quite well in the grand scheme of things with the quick turnaround going out to a mile and a half, catching a much deeper field. Um, as far as the current trend with the depleted Preakness field, the only thing that I think it's going to do is make it easier for Triple Crowns to be possibilities at Belmont. And when I say possibilities, not to successfully win the Triple Crown, but to have a Triple Crown on the line at Belmont Park. Because there are fewer and fewer folks who want to turn around in two weeks if you don't have the Derby winner to run in the Preakness. They would rather point toward the Belmont or do something similar to what Brad Cox and company did with Mandaloon. If your goal is to run in the Haskell at a mile and an eighth, probably don't need to empty the tank at a mile and a half. Let's get a local prep into them. See if we can handle the racetrack and, and kind of, you know, build out our schedule from there. So the Derby winner, in most instances, is always going to be running in the Preakness. You're probably going to get a less than stellar field that surrounds him, potentially just leading to more opportunities for a Triple Crown to be on the line. Um, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I think it's just the, the modern nature of the racehorse that they, they just don't run them as frequently as they once did. I don't know that it's good, bad, or indifferent. The Preakness is going to be the loser, unfortunately, just because of where they are positioned being so, so tight between the two. Um, because if you took the Preakness out of the equation, you know, the Derby to the Belmont is actually a very reasonable time frame. You know, it's about five weeks. That's no different than the local prep. Let's just use the Jim Dandy into the Travers, then the Pegasus into the Haskell, then the you name it into the you name it. Typically, that's kind of what you're looking at. Um, these final round of prep races leading into the Breeders' Cup, about five, six weeks. Um, so unfortunately, the Preakness is just going to be that race that the, it's so much of it is going to revolve around the Derby winner. And if the Derby winner, that'll be, well, look, that's a good thing for viewership and for uh, attendance and things like that. People are very excited to see if we can get the Derby winner home to move on to have a Triple Crown bid at Belmont Park a few weeks later. But from the race itself, yeah, I mean, I think it's that's going to be to its downfall, unfortunately, that most connections are going to look at it and say, you know what, if we want to run in another Triple Crown race, unless you're planning on, unless you have no interest in running in the Belmont, in which case maybe you do come back in the Preakness, and then you sit out until the beginning of Saratoga, and you give your horse 
about two months to just kind of take a breather, get back into the swing of things, and then have them ready to go for the late summer campaign. But um, yeah, I, I, I think you're on to something there, Ronaldo, and I appreciate the comment and the question. So that'll wrap up the Q&A. If you want, if you have any questions, comments, whatever it may be, beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. Again, the Friday feature this week is going to be Belmont race number six. You need to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. You also need to email me ahead of time, bernier.matt89 at gmail.com. At least that way, I will have a way to get in touch with you if you have correctly identified the winner. Or if, for whatever reason, we can't get something set up with the winner, I can reach out to somebody random and we can make something happen for that following week for the Friday feature. But again, Belmont Race 6, a mile on the turf for New York bred maiden special weight runners. Looking forward to that. The weather looks good. Don't forget horse player happy hour coming up again this Friday. Myself, PTF, get involved with the contest. All the details are over on breederscup.com and the contest itself is over on horseplayers.com. And if you have questions, comments, concerns, uh, as always, you know where to leave them. Well, I'm still going to tell you anyway. Beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. However you listen, please rate, review, and subscribe. Subscribe. It means a great deal, not just to myself, but everybody on the In The Money Media team. And if you're on YouTube, make sure the bell icon is lit up so you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the YouTube channel. And also, uh, that's something that you need to keep in mind if you listen on like Apple Podcasts. Make sure that you are getting those notifications or just refresh your your little podcast thing because this show will pop up Nicola Daly will pop up all, all of the shows I'm sure I'm going to forget someone so I'm not going to name them all but they'll all pop up when you just refresh it so uh, this has been episode 70 of the Matt Bernier show uh, thank you for, so much for listening we really appreciate it and until next week best of luck however you play whatever you play and wherever you play